right, Aaron. Here we are, uh, episode number fourteen. Yeah, at fourteen. I mean, that's we're moving along here, man. This was coming up on a four months, a third of a year, pretty much. I mean, this yeah. is we're we're putting some content out there. That's awesome. And we're really excited for today's episode. It's going to be really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an opportunity to interview an, an actual practicing attorney in this area of the law. Yeah. Um, that uh, in collegiate sports law. And so we're looking forward to chat with. Uh, Kyle, right? Yeah, Kyle Skillman, a partner at Bond, Shonick, and King. I always kind of butcher the name. Everybody calls it BSK Law Firm. I would say they're the premier collegiate sports law law firm in the nation and have been for decades. I mean, they're the gold standard. They're a huge firm, and they are doing a lot of the work out there, and and they, they're going to give us some good insights. It's going to be cool. Uh, so, um, Aaron, I noticed you're not wearing anything USC today. Yeah, yeah. So normally we, we tape these on uh, Friday. And so uh, Fridays I wear stuff on USC. It's bad luck uh, in in several different states, including Oregon, to wear your alma mater's gear on a on any day other than a Friday. Okay. That's what I read online. I Yeah, well, anything you read online is true. So yeah, absolutely. Sure. absolutely. And so, so because of that truth, I thought, well, I better not wear it. So I just wore a sweater. And kind of dressed up just, you know, like, I mean, if you if you Google how does the lawyer dress, they dress just like yeah, this. You're looking sharp. There's yeah. No doubt. And so, but I thought, am I going to wear anything USC, even socks? No, I'm not. Because uh, it's bad luck. It's bad luck. Yeah. I'm, I am rocking my Prairie View A&M Panthers shirt. Wow. Here. Look at that. I got a story about the Prairie View A&M. Oh, you do? Yeah. So, Cynthia Cooper, I believe. Used to coach Prairie View A&M, and then she went to USC when I was there and coached women's basketball. I believe that's true. I could be wrong on that, so asterisks next to my knowledge there. But I believe at Prairie View, and she had good things to say about the school. And their colors are fantastic. I mean, in, in honor of purple Kobe and, Bryant. Yeah, for sure. You're wearing purple and uh, gold, it looks yeah, like. Yeah, rest in peace. That's right. Uh, yeah. Very sad day. Yeah, what do you think about that news? It way, was man? shocking. I yeah. Mean, uh, yeah. There are very few times uh, when um, – so a celebrity's kind of death really hits me and hit his hit me. Uh, you know, he was a, he was someone that I, you know, did not like as a player because I'm a blazer fan, Portland blazer fan, and he would always beat us. And so it was really, but you know, it's kind of one of those things where we didn't like him because he was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes in sports, we hate somebody. It's for a reason, you know, and, and he had good qualities, right? He was a dad, um, had a family. He was good at what he did. Um, but I think sometimes that's what makes it more stunning to me is there's somebody that was healthy, you know, 41 years old, a celebrity, rich, famous, seemed strong. It seemed like he had life um, in the grip of his hands. And to have someone that, like that, you don't anticipate someone like that losing their life suddenly. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sad. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's um, especially sad for the loss of his daughter and mm-hmm. his daughter's friends and, you know, and then the other people who were in the helicopter with him. And, yeah. Just our hearts are just breaking. Our deepest condolences and thoughts and prayers are headed out to all of the families affected by this. Yeah, nine people. Anyways. Yeah, really sad. So, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, we've had, it's been kind of a quiet week in, in NCA compliance. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, and and, and there, there might be a couple reasons for that. You know, it could be the Trump uh, impeachment hearings, the Kobe Bryant tragedy. Uh, there's a lot of news out there. Sometimes the news will push down. Uh, collegiate sports law violations. So I'll bet you there's some stuff that's happened out there, but it's not hasn't been quite newsworthy um, this week. Yeah, and, and there wasn't really um, because of that. There was there was a little. We're going to just touch on a cut subject real quickly. Yeah, 
that's not that we that they don't have any rules. There isn't a violation here or anything like that. But um, uh, in Anaheim, California, this last week, uh, Board of Governors for the NCA got together to talk about changing their policy, dealing specifically with student athletes who have. Um, uh, either a history or a track record of sexual assault, sexual violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Aaron, what, what do you think the NCAA Board of Governors is thinking about this? Well, I think there's probably a couple of things. One, you know, safety of the student body population, sa- safety of student athletes, safety of, of schools. You know, you think about it, things happen at colleges that are really unfortunate. You know, sexual assaults happen. Um, you mix co- college-age students and student-athletes with alcohol and partying and different things. Bad things can happen, and they do happen. And so if, if we can get our kind of thumb on the pulse of people that maybe have, have a history of this, or maybe they were accused or convicted in high school, do schools have a responsibility to know this? And should we track on it? And should that be something that's flagged in the admissions process? I mean, should you admit somebody that's, yeah, they've been convicted of sexual assault in high school? but you don't know about it. You're not tracking on it. Now they're going to be a new football player on your football team and you bring them in and let's say something else happens. Um, could that have been prevented had you not admitted that person and known about it? And, and so I don't know, it's, it's a touchy subject and it's dicey and the NCAA rules don't cleanly touch into it right now, but there's a problem, uh, not a problem. That's probably the wrong word to use, but there is, there's an issue there. There's an issue there. Yeah. There is an issue there, and, and things happen in the in the college world, and and you got to find a way to com- combat it some some ways to, to to protect people. Right, and that's I think ultimately the goal. It seems like in this um, in these discussions that they're having, the goal is to protect. Yeah, protect protect student athletes, mm-hmm. protect other student athletes, protect students. Yeah, um, from having you know. Um, someone who has this type of a history in the past. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of comes down, but it seems like the NCA is really trying to be act- proactive rather than reactive with this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think because the NCA wants to get in front of academics misconduct, that used to be an area they didn't have a lot of rules. Now they have a lot more rules. Uh, the, the NCA wants to help govern. I mean, people getting injured, sexual assault, academics, not just recruiting. And benefits, you know, they, they want to make sure the experience for the student athlete, and the student is, is a positive one. They're in a safe environment. You know, they're not getting injured. You know, what about trainers that are pushing uh, kids through because the coach is putting a lot of pressure on them? Sure. Things like that that don't line up neatly in the rule book right now. The NCAA wants to expand some of those areas to help it with the ultimate goal of student athlete welfare. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll continue to monitor this as it continues to yeah. expand we find out more information, we'll give you more information once we know more. Yeah. We just thought we'd touch on this real quick. Yeah, it's new. It's kind of hot off the press. And sometimes a little statement goes out there and then eventually it gets to some working groups. And then they try to think, can we codify this somehow, right. make some rules? Do we want to? The membership's going to vote on it. It's a big process. But this is usually how it starts, right? This is the little tip of the iceberg that starts and trickles downhill. And two, three, four, five years down the road, we have new rules. Yeah. Well, so um, once again, we're going to be going to the phones here pretty quickly. Yeah. And this uh, going to the phones uh, part of our show is going to be brought to us by Welch, Burn and Green. Uh, it's a Portland-based law firm that yeah. specializes in workers' compensation, uh, personal injury law, 
and then also Social Security Disability. And what else? Collegiate Sports Law. There's a whole host of consulting services that we can offer to schools, student athletes, coaches, administrators, presidents, athletic directors. Basically, we can do whatever a compliance office could do. And if there's a law firm out there that's that's assisting you, we could probably do a lot of the same consulting services. Basically, you would contact us, let us know what you want to do. We'd come to some written agreement on our scope of, of assistance, and we would figure out uh, the rate and and the consulting services we're going to offer you and, and help you out. Exactly. And a school can contact us either by calling us at 503 503- Two two one zero eight seven zero, or emailing us at college sports attorneys at gmail.com should be right there if you're looking at if you're watching the video right there you can also email me yeah. s kelly at wbghty.com or or i'm aaron price you can email me at a price at wbgatty.com all right look forward to your call absolutely All right. Well, what does that sound mean, Eric? Well, we have the uh, basically the fortune to speak to uh, one of the premier, uh, if not the premier law firm in the country that, that handles, um, you know, collegiate sports law matters, uh, BSK uh, law firm. And we have Kyle Skillman with us, and he's uh, graciously given us a little bit of his time to uh, answer a few of our questions and share some of his thoughts today. So we're, I'm excited. Yeah. Hi, hi, Kyle. How are you doing today? Spencer, Aaron, how are you guys? Doing well, thanks. Yeah, we're doing great. We're doing really good. Hey, so, um, you know, what, what, the reason why we started to do this podcast is because we, we felt like there was a, you know, an interesting group of people out there who are really into college sports and specifically interested in kind of the legal side of college sports. And so, you know, that's the main reason why we wanted to chat with you and, and get to know you better. Um, and so the first question we always ask our, our um, you know, the people we're interviewing is kind of give us a little bit of a background, uh, your own personal background, maybe where you're from, where you attended college, where you went to law school, uh, you know, any prior work history before working for BSK? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for the invitation to be on. I appreciate it and I look forward to talking with you today. Uh, I started uh, in this business about 16, 17 years ago, right out of law school. I was. Uh, I grew up in Indianapolis. I was a baseball student athlete at Vanderbilt in Middle Tennessee, and then came out to the University of Kansas to go to law school. And while in law school uh, at Kansas, uh, I was in I guess, responsible for the Sports and Entertainment Law Society uh, out in Lawrence. And uh, after my first year, uh, kind of going into my second year, uh, they had somebody had dropped in my mailbox a flyer for a local law firm that focused on NCAA rules compliance in Overland Park, Kansas, uh, was looking for a clerk. And I picked up the flyer. I called the phone number, and uh, that was obviously something that interested me as a former student athlete. And uh, it, it was Bon Shinnick and King, and came out interviewed. I started clerking with Bonchenik and King that summer, and I've been here ever since. So uh, I, I was really fortunate in that uh, it just it literally fell in my lap. Um, you know, I, I'd gone to law school thinking uh, a couple things. One, 
uh, it would buy me three more years of college, to be honest. Uh, and two, uh, it might get into uh, sports again somehow, whether that's an agent, contract advisor, uh, you know, those big dreams that lots of folks have. And what I learned was uh, I had a, kind of a knack for the college athletics piece of it, and I really enjoyed it and uh, never left. So that's the background. That's so cool. And of course, Aaron, I know you know the mascot of Vanderbilt. Of uh, Vanderbilt? Uh, the Matadors or something no, like that? No, they're the Commodores. Right? Commodores. I knew it was some sort of door. The, uh, yeah, yeah. So um, thanks for sharing all that, Kyle. You know, my, my background, um, uh, if you didn't know, but I, I started off, I went to law school at a small school in, uh, called Willamette University here in Oregon. But I went to USC for undergrad. And when I was at Willamette, um, I did the basically the, the sports law journal. I was one of the editors for that. And we had an athletic director from Oregon state by the name of Bob DeCarolis come over and he afterwards kind of invited me to be a volunteer intern for him. And so I had no idea what I exactly wanted to do. But I just knew I wanted to work with sports in some capacity, but you know, I'm five, eight, five, nine, not athletic at all. I mean, it didn't make a whole lot of sense, but um, you know, I loved sports. I just, my body wouldn't do what I wanted it to, but, uh, he, I started off as an unpaid intern, became a coordinator in compliance. Um, and then I, USC had an opening, uh, down in Los Angeles and they're my alma mater and we were under sanctions at the time. And there was a really a premier team there at the time, Dave Roberts, Paul Perrier, Kevin Sargent, um, some big names in the industry. And they, yeah. I was fortunate to get hired there. And so I started as an assistant director and then turned myself into a director and then for a couple of years, I was the director of, of football, and I worked with men's basketball as well, uh, with Kyle Waterstone, who's there, and Scott Simon. And so um, it was just a, just a fa fantastic group. But then my, uh, we had our first daughter, and so came back to Oregon to raise her around family, which was, which was important. So been here in, in Oregon for a couple of years, the law firm, and we're, we're doing a little bit of the collegiate sports law as well. So that's kind of my background. Yeah, and uh, yeah, well, that's, a, that's a great group of mentors there. Uh, we know all those folks pretty well. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a good batch. Yeah, absolutely. So, tell us a little bit about your law firm. And you said you've been there 16, 17 years. So, you know, what's your title there now? Uh, and then, kind of, how big is the firm that you're at? Sure, I'm I'm a partner with the law firm of Bond Shinnick and King. So, uh, Bond Shinnick and King is primarily in upstate New York. Uh, firm uh, practices in many areas. They have a, a large higher ed practice, uh, primarily focused up in the Northeast. Um, and then we've got this small outpost in Oval Park, Kansas, uh, that is our collegiate sports practice group. And the reason we're the outpost in Oval Park, Kansas, is because 30 plus years ago, uh, our founding partner, Mike Glazier, uh, brought the practice here to Oval Park and the NCAA used to be right down the road. Uh, Rick Everard, uh, another partner with our firm, has been here almost as long as Mike, 20 plus years, uh, 25 plus years. Uh, joined Mike sometime around 1990, maybe a little after that. Uh, and so the two of them have really been the leaders in this practice. Uh, in addition, Steve Morgan was here for a while. Steve was the former associate executive director of the NCAA. Um, it came on with us as kind of a senior senior counsel of counsel role for a long time and then recently retired. Uh, and th those have really been my 
they are the founders of this practice. And I am, uh, you know, the last 16, 17 years, done everything I can to kind of walk in their footsteps and learn as much as I can. That's great. So do you guys have, uh, so do you guys have like associates there that work for you or with, work with you? And how many associates do you have? Yeah, several years ago, uh, we brought on former law school classmate of mine, Jason Montgomery. Jason had worked at the NAIA uh, after doing a little bit of time in the private practice world and then went to the NCAA and worked as uh, director of enforcement and then also on the academic and membership affairs staff. He then, uh, he left there, went to North Carolina State in the compliance department for a couple years and then he's joined us about five or six years ago. He's also a partner uh, with us now it's really neat to work, uh, you know, with one of your law school classmates and kind of really dive into this stuff. Um, so you get somebody here to have good, healthy debates with. And then we recently hired a, an associate, Taronda Randall. She's been with us about a year and a half. Taronda uh, was a women's basketball student athlete at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, went to law school at Alabama, and then she was with the compliance staff in Florida State and uh, made the jump from day-to-day compliance to uh, coming to work for us. So, And that is uh, essentially our group here in Overland Park. We have uh, several attorneys up in, in New York who help us with a lot of projects, particularly when we get uh, pretty busy. Bob Kirchner is a, uh, one of our uh, another partner with us up there, and then also Phil Zacchio. Phil does a lot of higher ed work, contract work, uh, kind of the ancillary piece of the NCAA uh, enforcement stuff. Well, it's interesting you say you, you have a, the, the, the ability, the luck, or the, the, the ability to work with one of your former law school uh, classmates. Aaron and I were actually classmates, so it's kind of funny that you would say that, because that is, that is a really cool, you know, Aaron and I have known each other for you know, 12 years, going on 13 years now. And it's really cool to think back to those law school days and that healthy debate. I think that you you have that ability to automatically connect with someone because you went through uh, the law school together. You know, you kind of have ex- similar experience. So that's pretty cool that you guys have that at your firm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important for, for culture for sure. And, you know, um, one thing I thought was was pretty cool about what you said, Kyle, is I know when I was at USC and sometimes we might use outside counsel for an issue that we're having or an audit or something to that effect. And sometimes, you know, with other, other groups, yeah, sometimes they would bring people in that didn't have as much familiarity with compliance and the rules. And that can, you know, that's fine. You know, we can kind of work through that, but it slows things down a, a little bit. You know, if somebody doesn't, hasn't, you know, touched that world a little bit or is familiar with the rules. And so it sounds like your staff, uh, you're you're selecting people that that are kind of versed in in that, so that they're not just lawyers. That you know, hey, this person was a corporate lawyer for four years, and now we're bringing them aboard, and we'll we'll teach them. These are people that are that have been in the business a little bit, so that's that's smart hiring. That's that's good to hear. Yeah, I, I am the only uh, outlier here who did not at one point or another either in a postgraduate internship through enforcement or in the administrative structure of the NCAA actually work at the NCAA national office at some point in time. Um, you know, everybody else here has got the experience of working with the association. Um, and, you know, several have campus experience. 
Yeah, absolutely. And having those relationships with the uh, with the NCAA and, and, and the membership schools are, is, is critical. I know that. Um, I know Vic Denardi pretty well. I worked with him a lot at USC, and he's at the NCAA. And, and uh, I know it's relationships can go a long way in trying to probably reach solutions with problems. And so that, I was, on that note, uh, I was curious maybe if you could share with us just, you know, some of the services you might be able to offer your clients. So we get uh, involved uh, on campus a couple different ways. Um, you know, there are proactive mechanisms in here, and I think you kind of alluded to this a minute ago, uh, these kind of compliance assessments, right? Yeah. Where uh, it, it's an outside entity that comes in, reviews kind of top to bottom what the systems are on campus and which of those systems are working. You know, one element of our practice in a place where Toronto has really been able to excel very quickly since she's been here is to kind of pick up that piece of it. You know, go to campus, spend a couple of days, uh, interview the people that need to be interviewed and determine where systems on campus, uh, maybe not necessarily deficient, but, um, you know, perhaps not up to industry standards or, or that maybe there's a better way of doing things. And then you produce a report back to the institution so the decision makers on campus can see kind of where you're lacking. That's a, it's a smaller portion of our business, um, but it's kind of the only thing that's on the proactive side. Most of the rest of what we do uh, is crisis management, um, whether that's an institution calls because they've detected a violation or a potential violation and they need to begin investigating it quickly. Um, you know, we, we get called on for that, whether it's uh, eligibility issue, recruiting issue, uh, you name it. Um, the other area is after the NCA has already called the institution and, you know, the NCA enforcement staff since we're coming to campus. You know, a lot of times that's the cue that will get us involved in a case. Um, so it, it kind of runs the gamut between those things. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we do spend a lot of time on the road with the enforcement staff investigating cases, conducting interviews. That's probably the biggest part of this job, uh, in addition to preparing all the written materials and submissions that are requested by the staff or preparing for, you know, a hearing with the Committee on Infractions. And, you know, you spend so much time with these folks from enforcement on the road. I, I think most of us here, you know, we're, you, I count some of those folks among my friends because you just, you spend nights in odd cities and college towns with them um, all the time. So. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, it's certainly, I think, a relationship business. It's a small group of people. A lot of people know a lot of people, um, which, which can be good. And so if you have a good reputation, like, like your firm does, um, you know, I've seen your guys's name when we go to the NCAA convention, I had heard about your name right away when I was at Oregon state. And then when I was at USC, um, and so, so that you guys have a, that reputation, I think it's a trust business too. So people can trust your guys's expertise and you know how to handle a crisis and manage it. And, you know, sometimes when I was working in compliance, it's tough. I mean, you're handling all the day-to-day questions. I have, you know, Clay Helton coming to me with, you know, 12 questions a day and you get the recruiting staff and this and that, the phone's ringing off the hook. And gosh, now we've been presented with this issue and 
I don't have a lot of time to, to, to dig into this. I can't just shut down operations, you know, and it would be nice to have somebody on the outside that can really help us out and give us some expertise and outside perspectives. So uh, I was always a big fan of, of, of um, using resources where, when you, if you can afford it, you know, to, to help you out. And there's so much at stake, you sort of need to, you know, at least that's my opinion. Um, yeah. and I, and we're ultimately charged, um, you know, we're charged to find the truth and yeah. before what happens. And, um, you know, I think that's been our motto for a long time, and and that's going to continue to be the model here. You know, we are, we're not hired to hide things or, uh, you know, cover things up or fix things. What we do here is we deal with facts, and sometimes that's finding the facts, it's using the facts and the rule book and determining whether violations occurred and then reporting it and owning up to it. And if we feel like it doesn't meet the standard to support a violation, you know, we, we say that, but that's, that's how we do business here. So, so let's say, obviously, you know, um, don't want to get into any, any uh, specific cases that you're handling or have handled, but let's say hypothetically an NCA school uh, contacts you regarding a major or something of that nature. What are what are the what are your first steps once you get that phone call? Well, really, the first steps are to determine uh, who our client is, mm-hmm. right, and who's who's hiring us. You know, are they asking uh, us to represent the institution, which is obviously the most common uh, thing, and it's primarily what we do. Uh, and you know, are we to report to the general counsel? To the you know to the president by way of the general counsel or we reporting day to day to the athletics director. You know the first thing is to figure out kind of what the structure is. The second thing is to is determine what they know or what they think they know, and kind of start to put it together a framework for what's next. You know what's happened. Um, you've got to evaluate almost immediately whether there's a potential eligibility issue involved a lot of times these issues come up in the middle of the season yeah. it's no different than when you work in a compliance office Aaron and somebody walks in and says this happened yep you know does that impact eligibility do we have to seek reinstatement because it's, it's the same kind of analysis here um, and then you know you just kind of go from there a lot of times the dominoes fall the way the dominoes fall so and obviously the big question is, if an institution is contacting us, when is the appropriate time to contact the enforcement staff? And, you know, a lot of times you've got a little bit more meat on uh, what's been reported, what they know before you do that. But at the same time, every institution understands that they've got an obligation to report violations. And um, it's just determining, you know, when do you know you have a violation? When do you need to pick up the phone and call? So. Yeah, yeah, expertise is going to lead to that. So that's uh, that's a great answer. Uh, do, do you guys? I mean, if something's a little more uh, not minor, but maybe maybe smaller scale, you know, maybe one coach decides to reach out over maybe they've been charged with something, or a student athlete is, uh, wants to transfer um, and have some help on that, um, or maybe a high school student is going over his initial eligibility stuff and wants a little help but doesn't want to use the school or his high school. I mean, do you guys get uh, lower level in the weeds on some sort of day-to-day stuff like, like that as well? 
it depends on the institution. You know, we've got some uh, what we refer to kind of general consulting arrangements with a lot of institutions, and depending on you know, the level of staffing on campus, what fires are burning hottest for the folks in compliance, you know, we will get involved in some you know eligibility issues. Uh, Jason handles because of his experience uh, at the NCA, Jason handles a lot of waiver cases for institutions where it's uh, it, it becomes either because it's a significant issue that the institution wants you know, outside expertise to really pay attention to, or it's because the compliance staff might be one or two people or maybe no people while they're replacing somebody. Um, and they just, you know, they need somebody else to do the day-to-day on it. Um, that's that's typically when we'll get involved in, a, in an eligibility issue or a waiver issue. The only other time is really, really high-profile um, eligibility cases. We'll get we get those calls with some frequency too. How do how do um, schools and institutions hear about your firm? Is it mostly uh, word of mouth, or do you have any kind of a um, uh, marketing strategy or anything like that? We, you know, we've been really fortunate uh, that Mike Glazier and uh, Mike's life founded this practice 34, 35 years ago, um, and, and they were the first. And, and Mike has long been acknowledged as the pioneer of this business, and uh, just because of the reputation that this practice has had since almost the beginning, but but definitely over time. It, a lot of folks just know us, <laughs> and um, that, that's the, that's always a, nice. Yeah, it is a niche industry. I mean, there are other firms that there are other firms that do it. Um, there are other firms that do it well, um, but you know, we've got thirty plus years of experience and. That's really served us very well. Yeah, I know for me, I mean, I was excited to talk to you guys, and I've reached out to Mike Glazer before too. It's just something I like to do is if somebody does anything well, I like to reach out to them and ask how they do it and why they do it and how they got there. It's just kind of a curiosity on my part that I've always sort of had. And um, yeah, I mean, anybody I talk to, I mean, whether it's Ellen Ferris or if it's somebody at the Pac 12. Every single person I know that has any more than a year of experience in the world knows BSK Law Firm and then knows usually a couple of the partners there. And they're just trusted. And, and, and so there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. But, but um, that's, that's an amazing, I mean, amazing feat for your guys' firm to, to sort of be the industry's gold standard in, in what you do. Uh, I felt like we were like, like that a little bit when I was at USC when we, had, we were loaded with about 12 or 13 people in compliance shortly after the sanctions came down and we were sort of the gold standard, I think for a little while in compliance, but BSK has been doing it for a while. And, and so, yeah, yeah, it's just amazing. And you guys are making good hires. And so I'm very, very impressed. Um, are, are, are you, are you guys seeing any sort of trends out there right now, as far as, you know, maybe uh, more student athletes are using legal services or maybe they're doing it less often. More schools are reaching out about certain things, anything like that. You know, there are, uh, everything kind of runs in waves, and it always has, uh, at least in the 16, 17 years or so 
while. Um, there will always be academic certification cases, and a lot of that's determined by resources. Um, there is a string of academic misconduct, academic fraud cases, um, obviously here in the, in the recent past, probably five, six years or so. But in, in terms of um, student athletes seeking uh, individual representation, you know, from time to time, uh, particularly your higher profile student athletes will, um, you know, either because they're transferring, primarily because they're transferring, or because there's already an active NCA investigation concerning something about the prospect or the student athlete and or their family, you know, they, they will go seek count. And uh, again, there are some attorneys in this business who represent student athletes, represent coaches. Some do it very well. Um, you know, and, and that picks up. I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a trend. I think that's always been the case, um, at least as long as I've been involved. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I, I mean, your other, your other quote unquote trends right now, you know, you've obviously got the cast of Adidas cases. You've got mm -hmm. um, the cases that spurned out of the Dawkins Arnold Cupwood trial. And you've got, uh, in the varsity blues stuff, all of which the NCAA is, you know, working on. So it's its own little group. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some some big ticket stuff going on uh, right now. Um, so yeah, it's probably kind of rotates depending on what's what's happening out there. But uh, there's always going to be some unique challenge. And I think I feel like college. I mean, you know, we have this new sort of idea of name, image, and likeness changes potentially on the horizon. Um, which could lead to a whole host of uh, monitoring issues or legalities or, or different things. Uh, any thoughts on that? Anything that you're kind of hearing or kind of preparing for or thinking about as far as name, image, and likeness changes down the road? Yeah. Hey, Aaron, I couldn't hear you real well. Could you say it again? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, you hear me a little bit better now? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So so I was just curious, you know, with the, the, the name, image, and likeness, sort of changes that are that are probably coming down the road and and I know the NCA is sort of putting a working group together to sort of look at it there's going to be compliance uh, wrinkles and issues and monitoring issues and 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 nobody knows for sure how it's all going to shake out but I was just curious if you, you guys have, have thought about it and anything you're sort of hearing or, or things how you think this might sort of uh, impact uh, your business in any way yeah I uh, you know that Ultimately, the NCAA and its membership, because the NCAA is is the is the school, right? It are the students made up of the member institutions? They will determine what the what rules apply, whether those are new rules, old rules, changes to old rules, and they're all going to vote on it, and they're going to get whatever it is that's their product. You know, there, a lot of what you read out there is that the NCAA is going to do this. Right. The association is is you know, likely to do this. Well, I, overall, that's true. But it's all going to be voted on by a bunch of schools um, who believe that they know how it applies. In, in terms of what that means, booming, and, and who knows, yeah, at this point, um, in terms of whether it impacts 
what practitioners do in this business or what compliance people do on campus. It's just going to be new rules to deal with. And it's new rules to break. And it's <laughs> new rules that you've got to um, figure out how they apply to student athletes in a particular situation. So I don't know that it's going to change uh, necessarily the the flow of work on campus for uh, this office. Yeah, interesting. Um, speaking of new rules, and you know, not, not necessarily the name, image, and likeness stuff that's coming down the coming down the pipe here, but uh, are there any trends or any new rules that you're hearing about on the horizon that that are kind of intriguing or interesting to you? You know, we tend to pay attention after convention here, and then also in April um, as to kind of what the new legislation is. I, Everybody's so focused, name, image, likeness, right now. Those rules are several years out. I don't know of, I don't know of anything that I'm necessarily on the horizon that's going to change how uh, the folks on campus or practitioners do their work. But uh, it's always interesting to learn. It's always interesting to learn new wrinkles uh, after April. What's coming in August? Mm, right. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, you know, it was really a challenge when I was at USC. We would have proposals come out, and then I would educate the football staff on these are their proposals, but but they're not rules, and 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 it's not finalized. But I want you to be ready for it. And then and then things would come out as new rules, but then there was sort of an override period, and it was these layers that sort of kept rolling out. And eventually, what would shake out once you sort of pan through everything is just a couple of new wrinkles. But I probably spooked football on 20 or 30 different things, but I sort of had to get in front of it just for the, the just in case, you know, because it changes some of the way they do things. They want to know about it six months or nine months in advance. And so that was always a something we would track and then shift it down, shift it down. And that was a challenge. But and I'm sure you guys pro go through some of that same stuff, but uh, that was always tough. But um, I, Coach, coaches are coaches are really good at throwing up their arms and yelling. Yeah. And then the next and then the next day they're good with it. Absolutely. I, just, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember when I was at USC and then the texting came through and for football that they could text. It seemed pretty, pretty straightforward, but man, they were, this is going to be a nightmare. I'm going to have to send a hundred texts to every kid and that's all I'm going to do. And, and then, you know, within a few months it was totally fine and business as usual. So it's funny how that works. <laughs> um, uh, I did have one thing I was curious about. Um, any advice you might have for somebody that wants to break into what you do? You know, maybe they're currently in law school and they'd like to work in college athletics. Maybe they're at a compliance office right now. I, you know, I've heard some of your previous interviewees kind of say the same thing, but you got to find a way to get your foot in the door. And a lot of times that means volunteering your time. And uh, it's, it's hard to think like that. But uh, any any experience you can get on campus, the best compliance development, academic advising, uh, you know, an internship or uh, something with the athletics director, just to get in there and to kind of get you know get in the door. And once you do that, you can make if you can make yourself indispensable in one or more areas. That's when people really start to pay attention. And uh, that's what that's what will set you up for your next job. And you know, 
you said it before, and you know, this is really a small industry. And when somebody shows up willing to work for not a lot of money, uh, and uh, you know they they're at it every day, they really show a desire to do it. People take notice, and it may not be a job at that institution, but it will be a job at the next institution. You know, it it is that's kind of the campus side of it. It's hard to get into the practice of law that focuses on college athletics because it's just such a niche. But uh, the same kind of rules apply. Uh, if it's if, if you can latch on someplace, make yourself indispensable, whether that's a, a Title IX investigation perspective or somebody that's got some experience in concussion litigation and the ties that that you know, adds to the you know, I there are going to be some new avenues to get into this business. Then, um, you know, anything you can do to kind of latch onto that, and become an expert as quickly as you can. I think it's how you uh, how you get there. Wow, that's so cool, Kyle. We we just really appreciate your time today. Uh, really appreciate your insights. Uh, you've given our listeners a, you know, some really unique insights from a from a legal perspective, and we we you know this is. We're just so grateful for your time and for, you know, your, your knowledge and your um, ability to share what you could share today. Well, I'm uh, grateful for the invitation and it's nice chatting with you guys, man, and come up down the road. Um, I'm happy to, I'm happy to chime in. Oh yeah. I appreciate it, Kyle. Yeah. We, we really wanted that perspective from, from an, a practicing attorney in this field that really does it at the highest level. And so I think, thank you for coming on to our, our small podcast, just getting started here, but uh, um, yeah, we'll let you go. We know you're, you're very busy, but thank you so much. And uh, you added some great value for us. And so I uh, wish you all the best and then maybe we'll keep in touch. Happy to do it. Thanks. Fellas. Thanks Kyle. Take care. Take care. All right. Well, gosh, I thought that call with Kyle was just spectacular. Yeah. I, you know, Kyle Skillman at BSK, a partner there, you know, he's a really knowledgeable guy. I think he said he had 16 to 17 years experience. They've got associates and other partners working for them. They basically have the founder of the whole industry and Mike Glazer working there. Right. You know, and so this, this isn't just any law firm. This is a gold standard that's been doing it for decades. That's the way Kyle talked about. Mr. Glazer was just like, yeah, he's the guy and And we're all learning from him. Yeah. We're all learning from him. It's a fantastic law firm. When I was working in compliance, everybody knew who BSK law firm was and that they would do things right. They knew how to get in front of things. And it's a great firm for us to have a chance to chat with and pick their brain about what they do, what they can do, what their background is. You heard that they're hiring people that have compliance experience, uh, which is critical because when you get onto that campus, I mean, if you hire an attorney's office and nobody that you're working with really has a background in compliance, even if they're great attorneys, it's going to be pretty tough. The learning curve is going to be steep and you're going to end up teaching them about compliance or all the issues on campus. And that's going to really prolong your time and really add up the bill. And you're really adding up that bill because they don't have the necessarily the expertise in that niche. And so that's really hard to find a mixture of law and compliance. If you can find that, at a firm to help you out. I mean, that's invaluable. And, and you you heard him say, I mean, there's a lot of schools that reach out um, when they have problems because there's a lot at stake. Yeah, I really appreciated how he just said, look, our, 
our ultimate goal is to try to find the truth. Find the truth. Find the truth and present the truth. Yeah, it's not a cover up. Right. You know, it's not sweeping things under the rug. It's not trying to, we're not hiring somebody to be our cleaner and fix this. It's you gather the truth. And then once the truth is known, we just deal with it. You know, we can negotiate it with the NCAA. We can, we can mea culpa. We can set up new policies and procedures. Let's not have this happen again. Yeah, really cool. Yeah. Anyways, I, that, I was really interested by his, uh, some of his insights and his thoughts. Yeah. Um, and now next week, we're going to have a pretty interesting interview as well. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, heavy hitters coming up. I mean, we got Oregon State uh, Compliance, the Associate AD for Compliance there, head of their office at Oregon State. He used to head up. His name's uh, Kyle Pfeiffer, and he used to head up Washington, the Huskies. So this guy has also been around for a long, long time. He's done uh, Washington, and he does Oregon State now for the last six years. And after him, we're going to be talking to Old Miss Recruiting and the Lane Train. Um, we have the Seattle Seahawks uh, lined up. They're going to be talking to us. Um, we've got per- Purdue. And we have a lot of other things in the mix uh, of people that we're talking to and trying to line up. I think we have some listeners that are going to get in the mix um, from law firms around the country and people that work at other schools. And so, and I got a few other uh, tricks up the sleeve as well. And then we're going to be moving off campus to go to the NCAA tournament and NCAA regional rules in Los Angeles. And so our podcast uh, is going to really branch out a little bit here. I'm so excited. Yeah, uh, and uh, just to kind of end the day um, and end end the episode fourteen here, how's uh, USC basketball looking? Yeah, USC basketball is is doing well. I mean, they they are. I knew they were going to be good, uh, but generally speaking, it seems like over the last few years they've won between twenty two and twenty five games, and they're right there on the bubble of the tournament. They either may make that play in game, or they're right on the bubble. Maybe they just miss it, or they make it. And maybe win, win one game and then they're out. Um, you know, so that's kind of where USC has been. But I expect them to be right about there again. Maybe they'll win 24 games or 25. I think if they can get like a 10, 11, 12 seed, they could win a game or two in the tournament. So they're a dangerous team. It's not a team you'd want to play in the first round. Um, and I think for USC fans, that's okay. That's a competitive basketball program that's historically not been that good. That's starting to get – and the, they got the number one recruit in the country, actually, I mean, over Duke and all these different teams, North Carolina, Kansas, USC is the number one recruit in the country coming in next year. Next year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so the recruiting is fantastic. Uh, I think what Andy Enfield really needs though, is to make the tournament this year and win a game or two in the tournament to get a little cachet going next year, bring in a really elite recruiting class and then try to get to the sweet 16 and really establish yourself as a sweet 16 team. That's great. How's BYU doing? Uh, BYU is doing all right. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we've had a, a kind of a really interesting year. We've had we have a lot of seniors on the team. Yeah, they're um, very good. They've got a lot of really good players. A lot of four star, five star type players who mm-hmm. are top one hundred recruits mm-hmm. just happen to be at BYU at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've kind of underachieved over the last few years, and this year I think we'll make the tournament. We could be dangerous, win a game or two, mm-hmm. depending on seeding. You know, yeah. it all depends on seating and, yeah. uh, and on who we're playing. So yeah. hopefully we can play a team that we match up well with, mm-hmm. uh, win a game or two and, and make a good run. But it all, uh, we've got a super stud in this young, young man named Yoli Child, who is, uh, you know, he's, um, he's a great, great guy, great kid. Mm-hmm. I got involved in a little bit of an NCAA issue, which we should talk on at some point. Yeah. Well, he, uh, I mean, briefly, he, he was suspended a few games, right? Right. Yeah. For filing the wrong paperwork. 
Yeah. For the draft? For the draft. Yeah. And he came back and was suspended for nine games. So at some point, we, I'd like to chat with you about that. And yeah. Get your thoughts mm-hmm. on it. But he back, and then he hurt his finger, and he's been out for a few more few games. Mm-hmm. And, but he's been doing well. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how we do over the next um, over the next few weeks, and if we can win a game or two, uh, you know, get some some better competition. We should be. In. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyways, uh, looking forward to a great week of of compliance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, NCA. I hope everybody enjoys uh, some basketball games this weekend. Yeah. And uh, absolutely. And then we'll be chatting with you again next week. Yeah. See you guys. Thank you.